Have you ever talked to somebody and when you first start talking to them, you just get this amazing energy from them and it just makes you feel good about yourself. And I have to tell you, my next guest uh, is Renelle Hobson. And Renelle, she's just an awesome person to be around, to, to chat with. And uh, she's from the other side of the world in Australia, but she is just, she really lights up uh, when you when she talks to you and I think you guys are going to get the same feeling from this interview with it so I want to tell you a little bit about Renelle before we get going with her interview here and chat that we have so Renelle is the co-founder of the Academy of Sport Speed and Agility in Australia as head coach and training director she works with youth to open levels uh, open level athletes across a myriad of sports Renelle has a master's degree in sports coaching and a bachelor's degree in sports science and coaching Renelle's specialization is in sports speed and sprint mechanics, maximizing athletic movement to decrease injury and improve efficiency for players. For 10 years, Renelle was the head teacher of the sport and fitness department at WSI uh, TAFE before moving full-time into coaching. An award-winning teacher and presenter, Renelle delivers workshops and courses in maximizing athletic performance through efficient function and sports speed mechanics. Renelle has run workshops for the coaches and physios at the following youth academies and first teams. Arsenal FC, Leicester FC, Crystal Palace FC, Wigan Athletic FC, Singapore National Football Team, Port Adelaide, Power FC, man, a whole bunch of FCs, a lot of places that she's worked with. In addition, Renelle has over a decade of strength conditioning coaching experience currently the strength and conditioning and speed coach for GWS Fury, Premier League Netball opens, opens in under 23s, and national level sprint athletes. Renelle is a certified strength conditioning specialist uh, through the NSCA, level 2 strength coach, ASCA, and level 3 Australian track and field coach. Renelle continues to train and compete in masters athletics on her international level in the 60 meter and 100 meter sprints, meddling uh, at each world championship she has attended, Renelle loves helping athletes achieve goals. Over 25 years of industry experience comes with her. I am so pumped for you guys to hear the conversation I had with Renelle. Okay, we're on. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about our last conversation and I was just really taken by, you know, your, your whole approach towards what you do and, uh, your kindness. You have very, you have a very kind energy right now. And I really get close to that. You know, that's so nice. <laughs> I mean, true. That, <laughs> I think that just comes from loving what you do, right? I mean, if you're passionate about what you do and you care about um, other people, then, I mean, I know all of my work is about helping other people, um, you know, succeed in their goals. And I just get so excited and, and it really brings me great joy, you know, when I have athletes achieving their goals. And I think, well, you know, maybe I played a small role in that. Well, tell me a little bit about where that started for you. I mean, have you always lived in Australia? It's like, or and lived in other places yeah no always been in australia <laughs> uh -huh. just love it. I mean, like god's country um i i just um i mean my husband and i sometimes talk about 
you know, going to other countries and exploring them. And we've been, you know, to many parts of the world for work. But I don't think our hearts could ever leave Australia permanently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what is it about Australia? Tell me about it. I don't think we talked about it last time. And I think a lot of people I know, they're not familiar with Australia. I mean, I know a lot of people, but I very rarely know a lot of people that have visited Australia or been there for a length of time because it is pretty far away for a lot of people uh, I know. It's so far away, isn't it? Um, and I think that though that is one of the things that's allowed us to remain a little bit unique as a country because we are so removed from you know, Europe and the Americas and, you know, um, it allows us to have that sort of unique identity, I think, here in Australia. But, I mean, like every other part of the world, we are becoming much more global. I mean, I think we were talking before, I really feel like we're moving into a time where there's no actual borders anymore, do you know what I mean? We have so much yeah. multicultural in all of the, the countries of the world that it's kind of like we're moving into a world without borders. But, Australia is still really unique in its um, flora and its fauna and it's, um, you know, just the fact that um, we have such beautiful weather and I don't know, I just, I just love Australia. <laughs> I could tell, I mean, I, you're like, you're buzzing about it when you talk about it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's just, uh, I don't, you know, it's funny, like I I was thinking, I was talking to you before, and uh, for everybody listening, you know, I was going to listen to this. Uh, Renelle and I, we, we did not know each other very long. Like, I literally just met her not that long ago. But it wasn't like, normally I meet people through LinkedIn, and I connect, with, I send them a message, and we start chatting. And, and ours was very different. Uh, we know a common person, uh, Joanne, and I saw you comment on, I think it was something that I posted about Joanne, and then you made a comment and I said, man, this is Rennell. I got, I got to talk to her. I got to see about her. You know? Yeah. You were talking about how Joanne, what a great team she is. And, and I just commented that the Fit Singapore team are just a wonderful bunch of people. Um, and if you can connect with them, do you know what I mean? Like um, they're kind of like us, Darian, do you know what I mean? Like, as you were saying, we've only, this is only our second conversation, but I feel like we've known each other for months. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And it's because you, you meet those people that are passionate about what they do, um, they're passionate about other people, and they're caring and they're considerate and they're kind. And I think that sometimes, especially in the fitness industry, right, and in sport and strength and conditioning, um, that, that um, yeah, that sort of element of our job is left behind a little bit. It becomes too much like data analysis and statistics and yeah. Sometimes I even hear coaches talking about their athletes as cattle, and I just think, oh, my gosh, what oh, is that? Really? Oh, really? I man. know. Yeah, it really breaks my heart. Um, whereas, you know, I think people like us, we just genuinely want to help people. Yeah, I, I know I do. I definitely – I know you do as well, and I just um, – I love my fellow colleagues. I love just having the conversation with them. And yeah. I always found when I meet my colleagues who are open to speaking and really just – you know, they're very bright and they have this sunshine about them. Uh, good things end up happening between mm -hmm. us. And I felt very strongly about our past conversations. So I was like, man, that's just, there's something here, you know? Yeah. It's about surrounding yourself with positive people, right? That are like-minded. And, um, and in that way, that's how you get really great stuff achieved. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. And, uh, you know, you're talking about Australia and, um, how much you love it and, and your heart's there. So tell me a little bit about 
the fitness scene in Australia as compared to other places that you've been to? Uh, well, I mean, the fitness industry, I mean, I started working in the fitness industry when I was 16 um, and probably about 10 years ago, I moved across into athletic development and all those sorts of things. But the fitness industry in Australia is, I really believe that fitness people all across the globe um, are like-minded. Do you know what I mean? Like we care about, we genuinely care about increasing the health and the well-being of, of our clients. Um, we want to make sure that we have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things about the fitness industry in Australia is that we're really fun-loving people. We want to have fun doing everything that we do. Um, we we definitely do not take ourselves too seriously. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of just have fun achieving our goals and we make sure that our clients are having fun achieving their goals and we build great relationships and it's like a journey that we all take together. But I feel like fitness industry people all across the globe are like that. So there's no differences you see like in terms of, well, maybe like in terms of how far ahead or how far behind different countries are and, you know, in terms of uh, uh, where they're at I, with it. Yeah, I think that there's probably more uh, corporate uh, business kind of involvement in, um, you know, the European countries and perhaps, I mean, I can't really comment on America, but you can do that. Um, but I right. feel like corporations have, Big corporations have come in and tried to take over the fitness industry a little bit. Um, so it's gone from being, uh, you know, like a, a family in a local area, setting up a gym, wanting to, you know, support the people, do you know I mean, that live in their, their locality, um, to big corporations coming in and snapping up gyms and making it more about uh, wealth, do you know what I mean, rather than actually um, being about health and well-being and and um, just getting together to have a great fun training session with your friends. I think that it's been a little bit more, definitely over the last 10 years, it's, it's been about big corporations coming in and making money. I think that, that we're a little bit behind the rest of the world in terms of that, but it's certainly getting that way. I think, you know, speaking in terms of America, there's just a lot of commercialization that's going on mm -hmm. with, with uh, health and wellness because it's becoming a hugely uh, big uh, monetization aspect of it. So there's people are seeing wellness is a 4.2, you know, billion dollar industry mm. at this point. And so uh, like anything, I think that becomes uh, prized monetarily. A lot of people start getting in on it and go, how do I get a piece of this? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, for people like yourself and for me, I, you know, I never looked at it that way. I, I still, I never think about it that way. I think about it very, like sentimental, like, Hey, I'm helping somebody. I love working yeah. with people and it's just, it's a joy. It's a passion, but we're starting to get a lot of people into it that it's not their passion. It's not their joy. It's a moneymaker for them. Mm -hmm. Well, they see it as a job. Like this right. is what I do today rather than actually having that uh, heartfelt connection to what they're doing to, you know, how they're working with their clients and, and being uh, intimately involved, you know what I mean, on an emotional level to help them achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Um, I know that, you know, whenever I, I'm with a client, the first thing that I say to them is, you know, what do you want to achieve today? You know, what what's this session all about for you? Um, just to see where they're at, you know, emotionally on that day, where they're at physically, how they're feeling, how much energy they have. And, you know, that allows me to really work out, okay, this is the plan that I have for you, but what direction are we really going to take today to make sure that you're leaving feeling so much better, um, you know, or 
more positive or um, happier than when you actually got here? Yeah, I, I think good professionals are they're very centered on that. And, you know, I just it's just interesting. I've seen in America where like a lot of tech companies are getting into health and wellness and it's not really their thing. They, they see that it can be a lot of money made with it. They say, hey, we can get into the digital, bring the digital element to it. Yeah. Um, but you're often getting a lot of people who that's it's not their business. It's not what they're into, but they see the monetary value of it and they can add a technical or a digital component to it. So yeah. in many ways, I think that, you know, it spreads the word. It makes it bigger. It makes it a global thing. But on the other hand, you're also dealing with people who this is not their passion as well. You know, it's a money making uh, operation. And it's not they're all not they're not all like that, obviously. It's just that. You know, in my dealings with people, it's a lot of people who just, it's not their business. It's just, okay, this is a gateway to making money as well. Yeah. So it can, it's, it's hard. Like, yeah, it's why people like us need to stay at the forefront, right? <laughs> well, you know, so I want you to talk about literally the kind of the responsibility of your, of the credentialed, experienced uh, fitness and wellness professionals and the, maybe the duty you think you may or may not have and getting that out there to people. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully I'm answering your question correctly, but uh, <laughs> but I I think that, that one of the things, just I'm going to put the two questions together here, but one okay. of the biggest things that I've seen change in Australia, which is going to answer your question, is that we're getting less and less qualified people coming into the fitness industry mm. because um, what's happened is the people that actually run the fitness qualifications are wanting to get more and more people through at a faster rate to get qualified because that's where they're, um, you know, that's their business, the education of fitness professionals. Um, so where it's gone from a year-long qualification where you might be spending 20 hours a week in, an, uh, you know, um, over a 36-week period with a professional to get them ready for industry, now in Australia we have, people pushing out fitness professionals and personal trainers in like six weeks. And so I think, well, where is their real understanding of physiology, of anatomy, of, um, you know, physiological adaptations to training that occur from different stresses that you place on the body through different exercise stimulus? You know, how do they really grasp and understand that so that they can make real changes um, for individuals? Because every person that comes in front of you is an individual, right? And so you need right. to be able to where they're at with their physical competencies to allow yourself to make a really well-educated decision on how you're going to allow that person to progress through their fitness journey. And I think that new professionals coming through don't have that foundation of exercise and sports science and understanding to be able to uh, care for their client in that way. Because as you said, there's a huge duty of care there um, to look after the well-being of your client, not just while they're in front of you, um, but, you know, for the other, you know, 22 hours of the day that they're not with you. And that takes education. Um, you know, you need we need to educate them about, you know, their diet and their incidental activity and their movement and their mental wellness um, and, you know, mobilisation factors and all those sorts of things that they can do when they're not with you. Because really we only have them for, for such a small um, amount of time during right, the week. Right. So it's about, well, what are they doing for that rest, the rest of the time? Do you know what I mean? Am I making sure that they're nourishing themselves correctly? And, you know, there's a real education process that takes, that takes place for you to really care for a client 24 seven. 
So, you know, it's interesting. I think we're kind of batting the ball back and forth on this Australia, America, the world whole thing. It's like World Cup here or something. Um, but, you know, in America, I think there's, it's been a pretty long course of very quick educational initiatives. Um, there's so many different certifications for personal training, health and wellness, health coaching, yeah. behavioral health. And it's just, um, but, you know, they're all very much like, you can do self-study, uh, get certified, take a test in a day, whole thing. And then you have the educational system, the formal educational system through the university system. You have the vocational <laughs> system, which is more like, you know, like trade school type of thing. Yeah. What, what's that system like in Australia? Um, and is it, is it the same? Is it different? Speak to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a little bit the same. So we have the government system, which is still uh, aligns with uh, the training packages. So we have fitness industry training packages. Um, and so it's kind of like the the one qualification if you're working just in the fitness industry. You've got like a Cert 3 in fitness, which is your gym instructor, aqua instructor, aerobics instructor kind of uh -huh. qualification. And then you move up to a Cert 4 in fitness, which is then personal training. And then, you know, most people will go out and start working at that level. But then you have the other professionals who will then go into university and they'll do, you know, exercise and sports science or they'll do, um, you know, some sort of health science um, degree. And then, you know, there's people like us that continue on and do our master's degree. And, you know, right. we just want to learn everything that we can really um, latch onto to be the best professional that we can and, and um, serve our clients, you know, to the best of our ability. So there's a lot of different levels. And I think one of the big things is that when fitness professionals first get, you know, their cert for in fitness, they think that they know everything that there is to, to know. To right, me. right. <laughs> but then you move to that next level and they start to realize, wow, I really don't know as much as I need to. And the good ones will then go out and continue to educate themselves, whether it's in short courses uh, for t continuing education credits or whether it's a university degree because they really want to know more. Um, and I think that just like in the U.S., it's going to come down to the personality of the trainer. It's gonna yes. Come, yeah, it's going to come down to their unique character um, about, you know, how much education is valuable to them and, and whether it's a job or it's a, a lifestyle, a passion, a, a drive inside themselves to get, you know, um, to, to be the best that they can be. Yeah, I think I think it's similar on that level uh, they're experiencing. You know, you've been in the business longer than I have, and I've been in a while. Um, I think we're in an interesting age of health and wellness and fitness, um, especially with I've talked to a lot of people. I feel like every podcast I do, I get into social media and fitness, and and I was I was I put on the, uh, my consulting and management company's LinkedIn company page we put out like fitness trends and wellness trends things of that nature and there was an interesting article about beware of kind of the culture of wellness of dieting culture with wellness and kind of uh, wellness influencers so in America I feel like there's just this huge movement of not necessarily credentialed professionals but in influential professionals who uh well i don't know maybe that's not the right way to say it influential influential people mm. who love health and wellness enthusiasts yeah that a lot of people feel like they follow they're very into because they're so influential they have a big audience and mm. they follow what they do so in australia how has that impacted you know australia with you know social media and, and influencers 
Yeah, it's really funny that you bring that up because um, Emily from Fit Singapore was here a couple of weeks ago staying at our place. She was doing the ultra trail run up in the Blue Mountains, 100 kilometres. And right. um, we were talking just about this this um, subject because we have celebrities, what we call fitness celebrities, okay, um, who've become famous through social media, you know, because they're doing, you know, the latest bikini workout, um, you know, so, <laughs> you know, so right. they, you know the, they themselves are really passionate about fitness and training, but they actually don't have any um, foundational knowledge or, um, you know, accreditation or, or, you know, they've become popular or they've become a fitness celebrity in Australia because, you know, they show off, you know, their fabulous um, body on social media <laughs> and, and they say, this is what I'm doing in the gym today. And, you know, they'll have millions of followers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the academics in the industry um, who are university educated and who continue to research. And, you know, we probably don't have as much influence because we're not out there on social media um, in the way in which those fitness, I call them fitness celebrities, um, right. in the way those, those fitness celebrities are, they're much, they have a much, um, you know, wider reach, do you know what I mean, than, than the academics um, have, even though I think that our information is probably. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the truth. <laughs> what do you think about that? Tell me, what are, you, what are your thoughts about that, your personal feelings related to it? Um, look, I think if anyone can motivate someone to get off the couch and get moving, then I'm happy. I'm all for that. Uh, you know, we have such an issue with, um, with obesity and with metabolic diseases that if anyone can encourage someone to get off the couch and get moving and, and, you know, think about, you know, what they're putting in their mouth and how much movement that's taking place, you know, physically throughout the day, that's a great thing. But then it gets to a point where that person's going to need, um, you know, some real well-founded, um, substantial research evidence-based information um, to help them move to the next level and to allow them to do that without actually putting themselves at risk of injury. And I think that's one of the biggest things. So when it comes to, you know, um, people just following a fitness re- you know, routine off Instagram or off an app, you know, who's actually there watching that, watching that client, watching their technique, watching, you know, signs of fatigue and, and looking after their wellness through that. You know, I think we need that, that connect between the people. And I think that is one of the things that I'm not enjoying about the change in the (laughs) 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 We're losing that disconnect between, you know, human beings and, and I think a big role of us as fitness professionals is client safety, you know, making sure that they're progressing at the right levels, um, that they're watching, you know, signs of fatigue and accumulated fatigue over weeks of training. And we're monitoring that and we're making sure that there's a, a substantial um, amount of progression or regression that takes place based on where our clients are. You don't get that through an app. You don't get that through Instagram or YouTube. Um, right. But what can you do? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've kind of vacillated back and forth on it. And, uh, you know, social media in general is, is very exhausting to me. Mm. I've, I've spoken about it to many people. And uh, actually, this one lady I interviewed, her name's Vera Ross, and I've known her for a long time. She made a statement I thought was really interesting. And I thought, I'm not sure about it. But she said, you know, I think there's a general exhaustion, a global exhaustion of all this stuff, the inundation of constant information 
and this overzealousness of, 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 of wellness in a sense, it's becoming, it's jumping the shark, a term that, you know, it's kind of had its time and she goes, and she thinks it's going to be over soon. She actually thinks that it's going to be dead in the next couple mm-hmm. years. I said, really, you think that's going to happen? Like people are just going to, you know, the influence and stuff. She said, yeah, I think so. I think like anything, people become tired of it and they move on to the next thing. And, you know, I, I, I'm very, you know, interested in different articles and research and stuff and, and just opinion based things and whatever. And I think there is starting to become a general fatigue related mm-hmm. to social media and wellness, because it's in many ways, wellness has become, at least in America, kind of a social elite status, um, yeah. if that makes sense. So people are used almost, and they, they're not even aware of it in some ways that, you know, wellness in America has become almost hijacked by celebrities. Yeah. And so because that, it's uh, it caters to, let's say, like a soul cycle, and Equinox and those things, those those are not things that are in reach or affordable for most people in the United States. They're higher end services and, you know, uh, they just don't cater to people that actually really need it the most. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting. So a lot of times when things become monetized and become very popular, yeah. uh, celebrity takes over it and... And I asked myself, are those, is that the voice we want speaking on our industry? And then I've grappled with like, well, what's my place in it? What should I say? And in the past, I'd say, oh, and I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to stay behind the scenes and let this play out. <laughs> and part of my, my podcast is like, you know what? No, I'm going to get on a bunch of really amazing people who are you know, either starting in the business or have been in the business a while. Maybe they're not celebrities, but they're powerful people that haven't had the spotlight put on them. And I want to put it on them and say, hey, there's an amazing amount of people are doing incredible things and they're not in their bikini every day. They're not putting in, (laughs) they're not like having these weird selfies they're putting up about themselves and putting pictures of what they ate every day and, you know, counting macros. Like we need the real professionals out there. And, Mm -hmm. And I think it's time for us to stand up and say, hey, listen, there's this silent majority of um, professionals, academics out there. We need to be we need to be vocal about this. We're not saying that we are opposed to all these, you know, influencer stuff where say, hey, influencers, you you might need to actually seek our help out. I know you're popular and you have a lot of followers, but it doesn't mean it's gonna last for you. You know? Yeah. We're going to last. We will be here beyond yeah. the celebrity. So I don't know. I got on a soapbox about that, but you know. No, I'm loving that. I really am. And, and as you mentioned, like you know, it's becoming overwhelming. Do you know what I mean for people? The amount of information. Yes. What, what's not fact? What should they follow? What should they ignore? Um, you know, it becomes overwhelming for them. Um, and I think that really, you know, the message is quite easy. But this would not make me, you know, millions of dollars by telling people you just need to eat real food. You need to eat <laughs> not in not not too much of it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you need to move more. Um, you know, that's that's the key. Um, but that's not going to make someone a million dollars. So No, <laughs> no but, not at all. No. <laughs> but that's all that people need to know. Do you know what I mean? They just need to know. Do you know what I mean? If you're accustomed to sitting on your, your couch, get up and walk around the block, you know. If right. you can't do that, walk to the letterbox and back. Um, you know, a couple of times each day. Just move more today than you did yesterday and you're on your way. Did you, you know, say the letterbox? The letterbox? Yeah. 
What's yeah. that? What is that? What are you talking about? So, you know, um, oh, do you guys call it a mailbox? You call it a mailbox, yeah. Mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> the letterbox? Yeah, we call it a letterbox. That's where you get your letters. Oh, you know, <laughs> I did not think about it. I'm thinking like A, B, C, D, you know, oh, <laughs> like. The letterbox. See, I had never heard that before, by the way. So that's probably quite Aussie of me to say letterbox. Um, Aussie of you? Yes. <laughs> uh, because you have the letterbox out the front of your house. Um, and you and I've had a client. I've had a morbidly obese client where, you know, she was so accustomed to having so many people do everything for her. She was quite wealthy. So she had someone to clean her house. She had someone mm -hmm. to walk her dogs. You know, she didn't do any chores for herself. And I said, you know what? Let's just get up and get moving. And to get her out of the house was an emotionally exhausting task. Mm. Um, and we got to the point where that was our goal. We're just going to walk to the letterbox three <laughs> or four times. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's walking 40 meters. You're walking 20 meters out to the box, 20 meters back. Let's just do some repeats of that. Um, and that was the beginning of her journey, her fitness journey. Um, so that's why I always talk about the letterbox. The letterbox. Yeah, it just reminds me. We also have this um, this program, which is quite funny. It's called the Clothesline um, Fitness Program. Have you heard of that? No, no. Tell me about so, it. You know, your clothesline is like uh, in Australia, we have the Hills Hoist. Uh, which is Hills like, Hoist? <laughs> what yeah, is this stuff? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking like about? The pole that sits in the middle of your backyard and it's got... What? a square that sits around and it's like you hang your clothes on it, right? When you've washed your clothes and it spins around and, spins and it dries your clothes. <laughs> no, I'm telling you right now, everybody who will listen to this is going to go, I don't know what she's talking about. The, the pole that's in the middle of your backyard. What? Okay. You no. just, you brought this in a different direction. I just heard the letterbox and now we're, we're going to just go with this. Because we need to learn about Australian culture and the pole in the middle of your backyard. All right. So let me try and explain it for you. Give everyone a visual. Okay. So you have your house sitting on a piece of land. Everyone has that. In, the, in your backyard, you have a, what we call a clothesline, which is a pole. And it's a big square filled with uh, runs that you hang all your clothes on. And it spins. Mm -hmm. So when the wind comes, it spins the clothesline and it dries your clothes. <laughs> you know what? In America, first of all, nobody does that anymore. Right. <laughs> but, but they was more like it was like a clothesline, but it was like on a string and people put like, you know, like a little hangers on it. And then they would just let it dry like by just, you know, the sun would dry it, but it wouldn't spin yeah. or anything like that. You know, it'd be on a clothesline. Yeah. The whole spinning thing in the pole, it threw me <laughs> off. Honestly, it threw me off big time. And I was like, what are we talking about here? Darian, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do for you? When we finish this, I'm going to send you a picture um, of a clothesline so you can put it up for all of your listeners to actually get a visual <laughs> of what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love it because I'm telling you, I'm sitting here, I'm like, you're talking about this hoist thing and the clothesline. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, 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 this is like a different language for me. What is this? <laughs> But the whole point of it was that women would get up from the couch and they would walk out and they would walk around, just like the letterbox, they would walk around the clothesline <laughs> and they would walk back to the house. So, you know, they're getting like, you know, 30 metres in each repetition and they would build mm -hmm. up how many reps they would do of walking around their clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, I am like – 
I'm blown right, blown away. I'm like, what? It just happened here. Okay, so now, now I'm very intrigued. See, I like fitness. Believe me, I like fitness. It's, I'm into it. I do it. It's like you, but I'm very interested in like how people live too. So yeah. there has to be something else that you're not telling me about Australian culture that everybody needs to know because this is this is hilarious. Oh gosh, I don't know because to me it's normal. It's normal to you, right? This whole letterbox deal and the, the, yeah. the twist, the spinning metal pole and clothesline. That's just like um, normal, you know. You brought up. Oh well, I can tell you one thing. Uh, when I was a child, because I'm five foot two, so I'm quite petite um, yes. as a professional. And um, my mum would say to me, "Just go and, cl- and hang off the clothesline, and you'll, you know, you'll stretch out your spine." And your <laughs> so I used to, when I was like five, six, seven, I used to go and hang, you know, just like hang from the clothesline <laughs> and just hope that my spine would lengthen. <laughs> so you actually did that. Absolutely, I did every day after school. Wow. Wow. I tell you what, I knew this was going to be good, but I didn't think this was coming through. <laughs> it didn't work. I must tell you, it didn't work. Yeah, no, no. Clearly, you're 5'2, <laughs> and, and it didn't work for me, and I didn't do it. I'm 5'5, five, five, so we didn't, yeah. it didn't work for us. You know, <laughs> but the wow. Whole message, that, that's <laughs> the whole message is keep fitness simple, Germany. <laughs> yeah. um, I, can, I can tell you another one, which is a real Aussieism, I think, mm-hmm. is that. There we would get a client, you'd go to a client's house as a personal trainer and we have on the streets, you know, the street lights. Mm-hmm. So you would walk to one street light and you would jog to the next. Then you'd walk to the next street light and you'd jog to the next. It's an interval, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interval training. But it was just based on, you know, um, street lights. And street lights. In the road because, again, they're 30 meters apart. So you've got 30 meters of walking, 30 meters of jogging, and progressively over time, it becomes 60 meters of jogging, 30 meters of walking. Of and then night, and you just build it up. It doesn't have to be complicated. Progressive overload. Very simple. Just Absolutely. a little bit more than usual. You know, it's so funny, like, you talk about meters. You know, like, most people on here, they're not going to know what that is. They're like, you know, America's, like, very separatist. Like, we're still using feet and inches and stuff and the yeah. metric system is lost on us like we you know i i, I like i was telling you last time i like to go to iceland and stuff like that my wife and i and it's like you know all oh, this 30 kilometers yeah you know, 60 meters and we're like okay we gotta look that up what is that how much well, is that in feet yeah well 30 meters <laughs> is 98 feet <laughs> it's pretty funny i don't know any of that honestly <laughs> Funny, right? It's pretty um, amazing. We kind of have both. We kind of have both because we have um, the American influence and we have the British influence here in Australia. Mm, so right. we we pretty much can talk in feet or um, in inches, or we can talk in meters and centimeters. Now Australia was at one point, long time ago. I, I'm probably gonna screw this up big time. Was like a prison colony or something like that? Or <laughs> I, I mean, I blew that big time. I know I did. No, you didn't. Um, so, yeah, so convict colony. So Convict um, colony. Yeah, So, but you're right, prisoners. So the, um, But this was back in the day, right, where if you stole a loaf of bread, you went to jail <laughs> and you were mm. just trying to feed your family. So, yeah, in the 1800s, 1870, I should know that, shouldn't I? I'm not sure. 1870. 1817? Yeah, 18. Yeah, 18. 
Um, <laughs> the British, the British sent all their prisoners because they had two. Their prisons were um, overcrowded, so they started sending sending their prisoners to Australia. Wow! How rude. And, <laughs> but it's actually quite—it's actually quite a funny thing because now, if you are a generation born from a convict, um, it's kind of like a cool thing, you know, as an Australian to say, "Yeah, well, oh. you know, we go back generation, generation, right back to the convicts," and it's like, "Wow, you are really super Aussie." You're super Aussie. Yeah, rather than just being like one or two generations where you've come across from the British colony, you know, or um, you know, you've come from Ireland or you know from any of the Asian countries. If you're, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation Australian, then that's true Aussie blood. Now, so in Australia, so is there pretty strict records of like lineage of, yes. of people? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not that I know mine, but uh, you can, there's a whole um, department of the government that you can just go to and you can um, you know, tell them what your full name is and who your parents are and your grandparents, and they will be able to give you your full um, lineage going back. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, you know, the Mayflower for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. This is weird, man. I got to tell you, I, you know what's funny? I've known so many Australian people in my life, like an inordinate amount, literally. And nobody ever tells me any of this stuff. I mean, I just kind of like. <laughs> you mentioned just, all the good intel. It was all, you know what it is? It's always like, I always, I feel like I always meet very fun, loving Australian people. Like I'm telling you one time I met this guy at LAX airport in Los Angeles. He's from Australia. His name was Max. He was, he's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. My buddy and I were there for URSA, a big fitness conference. Yeah. And he was wearing the tightest highest shorts I've ever seen on a man oh, and he was all about Australia and he was talking about all the stuff he does in Australia and you know mate this mate that yeah and uh you know he was it was uh, all the drinking he does and stuff and Australia. I said man this guy's crazy he's like literally crazy <laughs> but like I swear every person I've met from Australia generally is like a party animal they really love it man <laughs> i gotta tell you though right like one of the things that um that is sometimes frustrating for australians is that we're seen as the aussie yobbo right so the what out, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you gotta stop speaking this language to me okay this yobbo what so they talk about the aussie yobbo which is an australian who goes to the pub gets drunk parties hard and that's pretty much you know, wears board shorts and, you know, <laughs> their thongs, you know, which you, you guys, what are you guys called thongs? Um, oh, you're in Speedos and stuff? I mean, like. Yeah, no, board shorts. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, board shorts. Yeah, yeah. And flip flops, which we call thongs, right? Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> do you wear flip flops? I wear flip flops. We don't call them thongs or whatever you call them. Yeah, but in Australia, they're called thongs. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're blowing my mind right now. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Most people don't know this stuff. I'm serious in America. They're like, right now, when people listen to this, they're going to be like, I didn't realize I was getting like a history lesson plus a vocabulary <laughs> lesson. I must say our conversation has taken a weird turn. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's what it's about. I tell, because yeah. it's not just about, you're not just about fitness. You're, you're a whole other person besides what you do in your profession. You yeah. Know? And, 
Exactly. This is exactly. the good stuff. People want to know about, I'm telling you, people want to know about this stuff. They want to know, they're like, Australia, I'm guarantee you there's people that you know, listen to this be like, oh, Australia, I've always wanted to go there. Like, I don't know anything about it. Now they're learning. Mm, now they're learning. They're thinking, wow, those Aussies. <laughs> okay, flip-flops. Go on with the flip-flops. So you, we always, we always believe that Europeans and Americans picture Australians as wearing board, shor board shorts, um, being at the, you know, surfing, being at the beach, wearing our thongs, um, you know, <laughs> drinking beer at the pub, and that that's all that we do. And that is really a small part of our culture, absolutely. But then, you know, we've got that, the intelligence and the academics and the... <laughs> yes, clearly, you you represent the intelligent thing. You know, it's so funny, you go, we're at the beach wearing our thongs, and I'm like, <laughs> does Renelle know what that means to other people? <laughs> like... <laughs> I know, like, so in America, you call that, like, that's your underwear, right? Yeah, it's like a thong. It's like basically like a string bikini yeah, underwear. String. Right. You're talking about flip-flops. I'm telling you, nobody thinks about it as flip-flops unless you're probably from Australia. Like, like thongs? They're like, like sandals or, you know. Yeah, sandals, flip-flops. If you say, oh, you're wearing your thong today, they'll be like, no, I don't have a thong. <laughs> We're saying the, the thongs you wear on your feet. <laughs> yeah, see, I honestly, I, I've been alive for 41 years. That's the first time I heard that. Yeah. I'll tell you another funny thing that um, I found out because I actually went to America in 1992 um, uh -huh. when I graduated with my undergrad. And uh, Sloppy Joe was another one of the first <laughs> things. So, um, you know, a Sloppy Joe to us is a, is a hoodie. Hoodie? Yeah, you know, like a jumper with a hood on it. Like a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a sweatshirt. Is that what you guys call Yeah, we call it hoodie. Yeah, like a hoodie. Yeah. Yeah, like a hoodie. Whereas we call them sloppy joes. You call a hoodie a sloppy joe? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because that's what it's always been called. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, this doesn't make any sense to me. I'm telling you, it doesn't make any A hoodie is called a sloppy joe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. I mean, you just turned me on to some stuff. I literally, if I didn't know you, I'd have never known this information ever. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that, you know, if Australians go to the USA for holidays or, you know, Americans come to Australia for holidays, which is, you know, a little bit rarer just because of the distance, mm. um, you know, that's where our language, we all speak English, right? but, but it's completely different. You know, it's that, Aussieisms that come into language and you know <laughs> that really, really confuse people. It's good. I'm telling you, the sloppy Joe thing would confuse me tremendous. I mean, yeah. if somebody said, "Oh, you're wearing your sloppy Joe today," I'm like, "I eat sloppy Joe. I don't. I don't even eat that. What are you? What are you talking about? You're gonna wear your it's thong today? Yeah, it's like a <laughs> this is yeah. amazing, honestly." Yeah. But I must say, more and more, um, the American language is influencing. Do you know what I mean? I'm, that's where I start talking about, you know, the world without borders, um, because our language is starting to change and become more American. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So people are really influenced by American culture quite a bit now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. American and British culture, the two of them kind of merge and and um, become some sort of unique. I'll tell you one thing I saw the other day, which really irritated me. Um, in Australia, we've always uh, we've always spelt jail as in you're going to prison. Jail. Yes. Um, yeah, we've always spelt that G A O L, um, which is the way. 
Yeah, that's how it's always been spelled. That's the way it's spelled you know, in, in England. And then all of a sudden I saw J-A-I-L. Yeah. Thought, Who is this journalist that is now, you know, not using uh, English um, German or the Australian way of spelling our words, but we're becoming Americans? Wow. So how do you feel about that, that they're, the influence of uh, Britain and America is kind of infiltrating Aussie culture so much? Look, I kind of don't mind too much because I can really just see how we've become, you know, like a global world, you know, without borders. You know, I keep saying that, but it's just, it's just, there's more and more, um, you know, evidence of that every day. Um, but I, I think it's a little bit sad to lose that unique uh, Australian culture that we do have. But yeah, we're I would think so. Cultural now too, so you know. Um, you know, we've got the influence of, you know, the Asian countries and European countries and all those sorts of things. So I think that, um, yeah, we're kind of starting to lose some of those unique Aussie characteristics. Well, it's funny. I think I think we may have talked about this last time, but when I was in Kuala Lumpur, I was so surprised in KL how much American influence there was there and, you know, the fast food chains and restaurants and it bothered me because I was like, I didn't come here to eat at Papa John's. I, I want to eat street food. I want to experience like the local history of food and ethnicity. And, and I feel that when I was there, I was like, I don't want this here. I don't want to go to a shopping mall with all these American shopping outlets here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the same things here. You've got country regions. So I can give you an example, like, um, for your listeners, I live in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, and it's a World Heritage National Park. Mm. And what happened is that obviously McDonald's is global, um, and they wanted to have McDonald's wanted to open up in the Blue Mountains, and there was a big uproar um, because we didn't want a McDonald's in you know the our World Heritage yeah. National Park where I live, and and so they were able to put one in at Blacksland, which is kind of like a suburb in Lower Mountains. Um, but they have not been allowed to actually put a McDonald's in the Blue Mountains. So that's wow. kind of a nice thing. Yeah. That's nice to keep it, you know, very a as it is. Like where I live in the United States in Blaine, Washington, it, it feels very similar to what you're talking about. Like um, it's all very, like we say in America, very mom and pop uh, places, yeah. a very um, you know, independent business owners, not part of chains. And I like kind of that stuck in time feeling a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that it's slower and it's smaller and it's very nature driven and it's not infiltrated by big business so much, you know. Yeah, I love that too. And because if you think about it, like, you know, we've got people that are living in the cities in really, you know, um, heavy metropolitan areas. And these people are so alone. Do you know what I mean? So there's so many yeah. people around them. But the rates of loneliness and depression and anxiety are just skyrocketing um, because we're losing that face-to-face -face human interaction. Um, and I think that's really, really sad. But, you know, we still have that, you know, where you live, where I live, you know, that's still a big part of our culture. It's funny you mentioned that because I, I've read many articles that related to loneliness and uh, I wasn't aware that this was a thing in Australia too, you know, but um, a lot of American articles about people are extremely lonely at this point in their lives more than ever. So you're experiencing that in your country as well. Yeah, absolutely we are. And I huh. think that, 
Yeah, and it's really sad, right? But I think that people are so rushed and so busy and it's a 24-7, you know, working week rather than, um, I mean, you know, I'm going to show my age here, but, you know, going back to the good old days where people worked from <laughs> 9 to 5 and, and shops closed at 12 o'clock on a Saturday and there was time for work-life balance. Um, but I think that it's gotten to the point where people are now rejecting that and they're looking for that work-life balance um, we talk about sea changes and tree changes here where um, people are moving away from the city, they're leaving their big corporate jobs, yeah. um, they're moving to more country areas because um, they're wanting to get that work-life balance back. So I think that hopefully, you know, just as you were saying with social media, you know, you know all of that uh, overwhelming exhaustion of, of content that's coming through to people and they're starting to reject that now, I think that people are starting to reject uh, the, um, you know, the big city, um, you know, work 24-7, always being on call, you know, they're trying to, they're rejecting that now and they're saying, no, I need to get a little bit more work-life balance. I need to smell the roses as it is. I need to get amongst nature again and get back to being what it is to be human. It's funny, like in America, that's a huge problem, like this constant glorification of workaholism. And people will say, hey, you know, we lift up these people who are million billionaires who work 100-hour weeks, never sleep. And I always thought to myself, these are the wrong people to look up to because they're not having habits that are healthy. It yeah. may make, but making a lot of money doesn't make you healthy. Mm. doesn't mean that you're a well-rounded person, that you have, you know, solid values, goals, that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're taking care of your body, your health. I don't want any part of working 100 hours in a week. I do not want to sleep three hours a night. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's, we, 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 we push people on a pedestal. We say, oh, man, I love it when somebody tells me I'll sleep when I die. And I think that's the stupidest Gosh. thing to say. I think it's one of the yeah. dumber things you could tell somebody. Yeah. You know, like, what are you talking about? Like, this fear of missing out on things. I'm like, mm. how about you get some sleep? <laughs> you know, like. Get rested so you're good to other people in your life and you're yeah. not crazy and moody and ridiculous because you don't sleep and you think you must consume everything because you're missing out on something. Yeah. You know, Darren, I didn't think that we'd go down this route today, but I'm going to share with you my personal story because I think it can help a lot of your listeners. Do it. Um, I was in that situation. So, you know, I was the head of um, the sport and fitness department at a college, so I was responsible for you know, 13 teachers and 250 students. And, and because the government was trying to cut costs, they then made me also head of department of what we call outdoor recreation, which is mm -hmm. abseiling, canyoning, kayaking, all those sorts of things. Right. So I, even though I didn't have time to do my own work as head of department, I then was in charge of two departments um, just so the government could save money. And I, being a type A personality, you know, always having to have things done perfectly, have things in order, be really structured in everything that I do, I couldn't allow myself to do a half-hearted, you know, job. You know, I wanted right. to make sure everything was done really, really well. And I literally worked myself to almost death. You know what I mean? I was, so I was in charge of two departments. I was finishing my master's degree. I was training for world championships for sprinting. Um, I was running my own business here with my, you know, my speed training with my athletes. And just like you said, I was, if I was counting, I'm getting four hours sleep tonight. I was thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm getting four hours. This is so exciting. <laughs> um, 
you know what I mean? Because, you know, four or five hours sleep was a big sleep for me because I was just trying to do so much. Um, and your body can only do that for so long. Do you know what I mean? People will say, how are you coping? And you're saying, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. But I got to the point where I was taking sleeping tablets to get to sleep and I was mm-hmm. taking tablets to wake up. And I think that, you know, I ended up with um, neural fatigue. I ended up with, um, you know, problems with my adrenal glands, all these sorts of things. And I basically then spent six months in bed just trying to recover and trying to lift my head off a pillow. Wow. And I, yeah, and that's when I left my academic position um, and started to realize that this is not the way to live um, and turned everything around um, and now have beautiful work-life balance and live in the mountains. And, you know, and I, I just think that, you know, we get caught sometimes not through our own fault but through people putting additional responsibilities on us and thinking that we can't say no. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, uh, that, well, that's the beautiful thing about these conversations is they often lead to different, different conversations. And I like to just flex wherever it's going to go. You know, it went from Aussieisms to work-life balance, you know, that's the beauty, you know, it, we are, we are so much more than what we do as a profession. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, I got really turned on to, this is going to sound weird, the concept of sleep several years ago. And, uh, you know, my wife was very instrumental in helping me sleep better because I used to sleep probably five hours a night. And yeah. it's just, I struggled with it. It's not like I wanted to sleep five hours a night. It's just that I struggled with it. And, she, one Christmas, she researched, you know, PTSD. I mean, I don't have PTSD, but she, like yeah. people have had it and they were, they use these, um, heavy blankets, like 15 pound blankets. Yes. 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 And so she got me one for Christmas. It's the best present I've ever received literally because it went, made me go from five hours sleep to eight hours sleep. And then I, when we moved to Washington, I got an eye mask. So I started getting the, the, the light out of my eyes with the eye mask. And then I stop being on my phone later in the evening. And I've always been a very upbeat person, but I noticed it just made me have a better outlook on life all the time when I had a lot of sleep. Yeah. You, yeah, think the it's, you, know, you think that you can do without it. Do you know what I mean? You you, think, why oh, do we think that? Oh, it's just crazy. People think I'm wasting time when I'm sleeping. But, you know, if we think of the brain as the human computer, you know, that's when that's you know, regenerating and the whole body is, you know, in terms of our exercise, when we're sleeping, that's when we're adapting uh, yes. to the main stresses that we put on the body. So that's when we're actually recovering and improving and getting stronger and fitter. And, and the thing is that, um, yeah, there's so much great research on sleep now. And it's interesting that you bring up the, the weighted blankets because that's um, being used in Australia now, even for children with disabilities. Mm. Um, with mental health issues that struggle sleeping and they've had some really great um, you know evidence come through that that really helps them to then um, I want to I want to use better words than quieten their disposition but mm. you know, it allows them to not be as hysterical and it allows them to be calmer do you know what I mean within their their personality and it's really helped um, the people caring for these children as well to um, to get really positive um, uh, you know, um, oh, what am I trying to say? You know, positive benefits coming out through the work that they're doing with these children with disabilities. It's 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 actually incredible. And um, I also then I you know it's the sleep researcher Matthew Walker in England. I, I listened to a podcast he was on. It was just blowing my mind. And you know he was just talking about how 
sleep is the is the greatest legal performance enhancement drug out there. And, yeah. You know, and that we 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 sleep less than we've ever slept. And then people wonder why they're in bad moods, why they're short with other people in their lives, and, and they're survive they're surviving off these very little amounts of sleep. And you know, one of my uh, really good colleagues from Germany, I seem to have like this big international thing with people like Australia, Germany, Slovenia, all these people, you know, and a lot of performance coaches and, you know, people like yourself and uh, really getting on board with the concept of sleep and how important it is. And just this workaholism, I'm, I don't Mm. get it. I honestly, I don't, I didn't get it a long time ago either. And I, I was doing it myself for a little bit, but I got hip to it very quickly. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I, if I'm going to be the best version of myself for my wife, for my daughter, for my colleagues, friends, and family, I owe it to them to sleep better yeah, and exactly. to be fresh. Because, you know, when yeah. you're not fresh, you, you even when you love somebody a lot, you still take it out on them. And, you know, you're short with them. You just feel terrible. Yeah. And it's something that you could do something about. Mm, so, absolutely, yeah. We, we talk to all of our clients about creating the best, sleep environment that they can you know we want them to turn off all of their digital media and Mm -hmm. not look at their phones for at least two hours before they go to sleep turn off the tv maybe read a book instead you know make sure that the room's really dark and that it's not too warm it needs to be a little bit cooler right Um, yeah and making sure that you know they set themselves up to sleep maybe do a little bit of mobilization and stretching before they go to bed um yeah to just really quiet i think that that the concept of quietening the mind mm. before you put your head to rest is really important. And you can do that, you know, even through a little bit of meditation or whatever it might be. <clears throat> You're totally right. My wife does that with my daughter all the time before sleep. They do a little meditation routine. And uh, my daughter's always like lights out real quick after yeah, she does it's that. Brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. I just think it's so simple, you know, but it's just, it's just, I never knew that about, I mean, I don't know you that long, but you know, that you had gone through that and four hours was a lot for you, but I don't think your story's very different from a lot of people I've known in the United States who are still surviving on very little sleep, even though they know better or they make excuses like, well, I've just always been like this. I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of a, an excuse, you know, I'm like, you, have you tried different things to actually help you? Uh, with that, and uh, I think it's—I think it's one of the pillar, the greatest pillars of health and wellness that people are just neglecting completely. Yeah, absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. I think it's really hard for personal trainers sometimes. You know, the nature of of being a personal trainer in Australia is that you'll have your clients. You know, where you're up at four o'clock in the morning because you've got mm-hmm. all these clients before they head off to work. And then you've got, you know, this lull in the day, or you might work, you know, like a, a mother's group, or you know. Um, you might go into a corporate chain and do some work, but then you've also got your clients post work. So kind of the majority of your work is before people are working and then after everyone's finished their work day and then you're trying to cram everything else. So we talk about, you know, is there times where you can take power naps through the day? So you'll finish your morning clients, have a morning routine, and then, you know, can you get some power naps? that evening um you know that evening cycle of clients again but it can become really really difficult for them <clears throat> oh yeah and, and you know and and different and people are different like some people are more 
morning people. There's a real phenomenon with that morning people versus evening people. Yeah. And when I was running a club, I, you know, we had an employee who's awesome guy and he was definitely a night guy. And so we made sure that he worked at night for us and he never worked any mornings. We never asked him to do something that was biologically um, not inherent to him. And we try to do that with all of our people because it was very critical that they could be the best version of themselves. Yeah, and that's your, you know, your intuitiveness and your intelligence and your understanding of what brings out the best in people. Um, but I don't think everyone would have a boss as good as you. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think we got it all wrong. I think we we expect people to start work at a certain time. We expect kids to go to a school at a certain time. When really it should be more of a staggered schedule for a lot of people and say, hey, let's identify genetically if you're more of an owl or a lark or whatever. And if you're more uh, awake and more alert towards the evening time, then your work schedule should be a later work schedule. And if you're like a, just a natural morning person, then you should be doing morning work. I don't think we should be fitting people into at the same time frame for what they're doing. Yeah, I agree 100%. You would be employer of the year. Man, I tr I tried, you know. You know what's funny? I had a lot of morning people, like tons of morning people who were very up early. And I only yeah. had a few night people. That wasn't the biggest portion. It was always a lot of night people. But the night people, I never wanted them. I never even allowed them to sub in the morning yeah. because I knew they would be no good to me. Which one are you, Darian? Are you morning or not? Good question. Um, <clears throat> I would say... When I was growing up, I was hu a huge night person. Like I wanted to stay up to like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And I did that through college pretty regularly. And then it switched for me. I started getting up early. But I think I'm kind of a tweener. Like my tendency still is to want to stay up late. I love when it's quiet at night, late at night. Love that. Yeah. It's amazing. But I also can see the value in being up early and getting a lot of things done early. So I think I, I twist back and forth because there's some days like I have to get up generally around 630 every morning to get my daughter yeah. ready for school and stuff like that. But on the weekend, if you give me like nothing to do, I'll, <laughs> I'll stay asleep to like nine, 10 o'clock yeah. in the morning. Oh, yeah. So I have that ability. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing you're a morning person if I had to guess. I am a morning person. I That's knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the funny things is, is that. You know, they talk about all of our socialization factors that happen between naught and five or, you know, when we're, you know, up until like eight or nine and the, the influence of our parents and things like that. I had a mother that always thought that, you know, by eight o'clock, half the day was was gone. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> I'm like, if you're not up and being productive by 6 a.m. in the morning, it's like, what are you doing with your life? So. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's funny that, you know, we get socialized into that because I think we're at a point now in society where I think we have to think about it when we're raising people and, you know, we don't, we don't, we know what we knew back then, you know, it's just yeah. how you are, you know, yeah. but now I think about it now, like my daughter who just walked into the room here with us, <laughs> is, is a morning person. She is up super early all the time. And, and, and I think that's natural for her. Yeah. Um, whereas like my wife is not a morning person. She could sleep to 11, 12 o'clock. Yeah. And she it's just like natural for me. And again, I could sleep later, but I don't mind being up early. But I think we're learning more about people's rhythms and how to honor those rhythms. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we could uh, impact the schooling system 
and actually oh, have man. like yeah imagine if the kids that were actually alert and ready to learn at you know six seven o'clock in the morning if they could have their classes at that time with teachers who were of a similar biological you know like class yeah and then have another intake as you had have staggered starts for those students that don't do so well in the morning hey, you know what's funny it's to me, it's really been based off of parents' work schedules. You know, mm -hmm. so kids are starting to go to, they started, it was later times. I remember this growing up that I was going to school at like nine o'clock and then yeah. it kept getting earlier and earlier <laughs> and earlier as I got older. And I've talked, I was talking to somebody else about it. It was like parents' work schedules when, because people are going to work earlier and earlier. Yeah. So school started being early and early because you had to drop your kid off and this and that. And I just think it's wrong. I really do. I'm going to put it out there. I think it would be much better served if some kids went to went to school at like seven o'clock, six, seven o'clock, and some kids yeah. went to school at nine, ten o'clock. You know, it's just yeah, it would better serve kids. Yeah, it's actually funny too. Along the same stream, we were talking the other day about uh, swimming and the culture of swimming training. And in Australia, they have uh, learn to swim classes, which are the big money makers for the swimming uh, pool facilities. And so all of the competitive and elite swimmers would be there at three, four o'clock in the morning, getting their hours and hours of training done and their laps in the pool because they couldn't impact then the lanes when the people who owned the swimming pools would make all of their money from learning. <laughs> so, you know, you've got these poor athletes and my husband was one of them who had to be up at 3 o'clock every morning so they could get their Ooh. swim training done before school, but also so that they didn't impact the revenue that could be um, made by the people that actually owned the swimming pools. Amazing. That's really right. amazing. Yeah. I know I find when I get up, like, other day I had to get up for a really early flight to come back from uh, the East Coast of America to the West Coast, and we had to get up at, like, 3.30. And every time I get up at that time, I feel nauseous. I feel completely <laughs> nauseous. I feel like the worst I've ever felt in my life every single time. Yeah. And like, it's just not natural to be awake during those times, you know, in yeah. your body and all things. So it's it's just interesting. I hope, Hopefully I feel like we're learning more about our bodies and how do we uh, treat our bodies better, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard in America. It's very difficult because the school system is very powerful and it's very difficult yeah. to make sweeping changes very quickly. And it may be in, like that in other places, but, um, it's been a very difficult task. I well, think. it's kind of, you know, the, the regimented, you know, systems, you know, it's kind of like, this is the way that we've always done it. So why do we need to change? And it's like, well, we know a lot more now about the human body and how <laughs> it performs and how we can get the best out of both mind and body, but getting those systems changed, you know, that would take decades. That sounds crazy. Decades to get something changed, but it's true. It's yeah. it's how things happen, you know, and um, it's just, it just blows my mind with it. But, I, you know, I've, I've been hip to a lot of this stuff lately, and I think you got to want to change. you got to want to see where things are going, stay up with trends and things of that nature. So, you know, I wanted to actually, in this part of it, really learn a little bit more about, your speaking engagements that you have. I know we touched on that a little bit when you and I talked, you know, not on a podcast, but you're a pretty prolific speaker on the, you know, fitness and health and sports performance circuit. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, this year alone, I'm doing 12 presentations. Um, I, and I just love it. Do you know what I mean? I'm an educator through and through. Mm -hmm. um, so I love to educate. I love to inspire and 
and just help other trainers be the best that they can be. Um, so I'm very fortunate and I, I really am so fortunate to be able to um, do the Expo Fitness Convention, which is in Singapore. I'm doing that at the end of this month. Um, and I'm doing four presentations there and it's going to be all about, you know, my passion. So mobilization for performance, um, speed and technical speed mechanics for team-based players. Um, and I'm going to do a theory lecture as well on uh, explosive power training and, and how we can maximize, um, you know, adaptations in power for athletes. And so I get to do that. And then I'm doing also this year um, the ASCA, so the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, the International Strength and Conditioning Conference, um, where I'm going to be talking about running. So jogging, running, accelerating and sprinting and the manipulation of those velocities uh, through team-based sports and how we train that effectively over a season. So that's going to be a lot of fun um, up on the Gold Coast in Queensland. And then I'm doing the Bangkok, um, the Asian Fitness Convention, which is being held in Bangkok. And I'm doing a whole pre-course there on maximizing running performance. And that's for, you know, 800 meters to marathon runners um, and a real holistic approach to training. So I really like to talk about the whole self um, rather than just, uh, you know, the physiological adaptations that we need to occur and the biomechanical changes that we need to occur for performance. But let's look at the athlete as a complete, um, you know, as a complete unit and get that holistic approach to training, which includes all the things that we've been talking about, you know, mobilization and sleep and recovery systems and nutrition and, you know, training stimulus and just putting that all together in a package to create the best athlete, you know, that you can. Um, I love educating and I love doing these conventions and I just feel really, you know, blessed and, and fortunate that um, people still want me to do them. Sounds like it. you're doing 12 of them, so that's quite a yes. bit <laughs> for the year and the ball is rolling uh, yeah. for you that. Uh, so it sounds amazing, actually. I think I'm fortunate in the fact that I do have that ac academic um, background and so going into an environment and teaching and educating is um, second nature to me, yeah. That's wonderful. And I'm sure you'll, uh, you think that's something you'll continue to do uh, as you continue to get older? That's something you'll always keep part of your program? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, well, as long as people want me to do it. <laughs> well, you know, that can be subjective, you know. I mean, I mean, you're talking about sloppy joes and thongs that may, may be ending pretty soon. <laughs> I can tell you there'll be no talk of sloppy joes or thongs in my presentation. Are you sure about that? <laughs> if I was at that presentation... I'd get up and I'd go, uh, Ronell, can you tell me about sloppy joes and thongs? And like, I'm sure Australian people are, don't think it's funny, but everybody else, that's not what it means, okay? <laughs> like, hey, if you can bring a bit of laughter to the room, all the more for it. <laughs> I'm totally for that. Well, this has certainly made me laugh, and I learned a tremendous amount uh, about you that I didn't know already, and that's always the goal of for me when I meet with people and now with the podcast is that I get to learn a lot about you, things I didn't know. And that everybody that listens, they'll be like, huh, I, I never thought about that. I definitely didn't know the letterbox and the thing that you put the, the pole in the middle of your backyard that spins. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send you a picture so you can put it up with the podcast. I but... want that picture. <laughs> yeah. Now, when I put this on my LinkedIn, I'm going to put those pictures you sent me of you and all this stuff. And I'm going to put, the pole and all that stuff. I'm mean, like, you got to listen to know what this means, you know? Yeah. 
Well, Darian, I must say it works both ways. I really love talking to you. I think that we have such Thank a nice rhythm. Um, and I'm just, uh, you know, so fortunate that the, wor that the world through your podcast um, can actually have a little bit of influence of all things Darian because you're such a great guy. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's very nice of you to say. <clears throat> and it is a true pleasure to speak with you, Renelle. And, you know, when I was planning on this podcast, I'm like, Renelle's definitely going to be on. <laughs> for sure. As long as she just has to say yes. I have to ask her and she has to say yes. So um, I think it's going to be a pleasure for everybody to listen to it. And thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. See you, Darian. All, All right. All the best. Bye.